This is Sciographies, an introduction to the people who make science happen. I'm Grace Kisheke, and I'll be hosting this episode, the final episode of season three. I finished my Dell neuroscience degree last spring and just started my master's in pharmacology this past fall. I'm pumped to play guest host this week so that we can finally hear David Barkley's story. He's interviewed 20 people for Sciography since the program began in 2018, and now it's his turn to sit in the hot seat. Dr. Barkley is an associate professor in the Department of Oceanography here at Dalhousie and also holds a Tier 2 Canada Research Chair in Ocean Technology Systems. As a physical oceanographer, Dr. Barkley's research focuses on the science of underwater acoustics. He designs technology that can withstand harsh conditions to record sound waves from the ocean's surface all the way down to its deepest trenches. His technology is an essential tool for marine biologists and those working in naval defense and communications. It's funny because this is the kind of thing that I wish I could do with like anybody. Yeah. Just like talk with them, ask them yeah. questions, and figure them out as a person. <laughs> You're from one of the coasts, right? I'm from Victoria, yeah, Victoria? on the west coast. So you grew up around the water then? I grew up, yeah, going on boats. So we did all our family, well, not all of them, but most of our family vacations were going on boats to little islands. It's super protected waters um, mm. in Victoria. So it's a lot like Halifax yeah. and the coast of Nova Scotia, tons of little islands, except instead of like crazy fog and big storms that come in, it's totally protected. And, you know, you get storms in the winter a little bit, but yeah. in the summer, it's just like a boater's paradise. Generally speaking, how would you describe your upbringing in your childhood? Okay, I'm not sure if I just remember only the good things. It's possible. That's definitely like one of my traits. Um, not a bad trait. Yeah, but I had like an idyllic childhood. My parents really got me involved in things. So they let me do music. They let me do sports. We were doing sailing. We were doing all sorts of things. We did stamp collecting. My parents took me to stamp collecting when I was like seven years old. Like a club. Like, I don't know. It was so, in retrospect, it's so weird. I didn't know there was a club. I know. No, they have stamp collecting competitions, and I entered in some. <laughs> I got involved in a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. and I think that really paid off because I didn't really think about academics too much until high school. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was maybe even in elementary school, I wasn't like really that great academically. You know, I didn't really take school very seriously, yeah. and I goofed yeah. off a lot. And then in high school, well, junior high, really. I enjoyed school. Mm-hmm. You know, I like put the time in most of the time. I'm a bit of a procrastinator. I'm a massive procrastinator, <laughs> but I like put the time in and got decent grades or whatever. I was like, oh, it's actually not that hard. And the big thing was I have an older brother who's four years ahead of me. So that kind of helped also pave a way. Like my older brother as a teenager was like, he wasn't rebellious in any sense of the of the word, but it kind of gave a good blueprint for, um, you know, for things that you could do, mm-hmm. right? And so he went to university and said, I'll probably go to university too. I actually didn't. I thought maybe I'll get a job. But my mom, she said, and this was a message early on, Mm -hmm. if you want to go away to university, you have to get scholarships. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. And so that was like the fire lit under me to do well in grades 11 and 12. Mm -hmm. And just for some context here, I didn't even apply to UVic. I was like, if I don't get in, if I don't get scholarships to go somewhere else, I'm just going to like live at home and work a job. So I really was motivated to apply for a lot of scholarships and to to go away somewhere. And I didn't know what I wanted to study. I applied to the Faculty of Arts um, at most places. I even applied to the PAGE program at like Carleton or University of Ottawa. I can't remember which one, but you know, like you can work as a PAGE in the parliament. (laughs) 
<laughs> while you're a student? Yeah, I, I kind of just, I was pretty applying randomly a little bit all over. Um, and so did your interest in the ocean come from the time you spent sailing and on the boats during your childhood? Sort of. Mm -hmm. So really what happened, the real confluence of interests, was I did these NSERC summer um, undergrad research assistant jobs, mm -hmm. and I wound up doing a job working on atmospheric science. It was cool. Yeah. And then the next summer, what did I do the next summer? Oh, the next summer I did work. So I, I got this this one doing ocean acoustics. Yeah. And that was because I was more interested in um, acoustics and sound, sound recording, mm -hmm. um, sound processing. I was doing a minor in music. I've pretty much always been interested in sound and recording mm -hmm. and music and manipulating sound. And yeah, also just like uh, ambient sound as well. Mm -hmm. And... I was interested in what careers might involve that. Yeah. And it was um, it was actually was out in Victoria, out in Sydney, British Columbia, working with this guy, looking at upper ocean processes using acoustics. So breaking waves and bubbles coming into the ocean and stuff. And wow, super cool. Yeah. And as part of that summer job, I got to go out on a ship for six weeks. Oh, wow. So you that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did the physics component come into play? You started at McGill. Yeah. And you did a major in physics. With mm -hmm. a minor in music? Yeah. It's actually a minor in music technology. Oh, yes. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's, that's right. a crucial part there. <laughs> um, not really. I mean, I like I said, I was kind of interested in doing music classes, mm -hmm. and I sort of took a few in my first year. But I just, I really enjoyed doing calculus, for instance, and doing linear algebra. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it, I found them quite fun. It was kind of like puzzle. They were like puzzle yeah. classes. And, and like, it was challenging yeah. for me. So I liked that, and I, and you know had the same thing in physics. Um, I really enjoyed a few classes I took there, quite a, quite a few of the classes that I took. But I did always have this idea in mind: oh, I'd like to do something with acoustics, which is kind of funny because it's like 19th century physics. Like, you know what I mean? It's not like like everyone I went to grad school with does stuff with like quantum computing or yeah. particle detectors, like all sorts of really interesting, you know, cutting edge type stuff. And I'm like, hey, let's do, let's work on this thing that Lord Raleigh worked on, you know, uh, just really boring, uh, boring stuff. But, but it is sort of true to my original interest, which was just like, you know, if I if I could have a job where I just got paid to record stuff, and then, you know, uh, maybe I guess I could write about it a little bit or something. But even if I just like, hey, we need you to do the Google Maps audio version, I'd be like, I'm on it. I'll spend the rest of my life just driving around the world recording the sound of different places. <laughs> that would be, that would be a true dream job. And so, kind of doing the underwater acoustics things was thing was like, eh, it was a little bit sensible because it's very applied. There's always going to be work in that field, and yeah, I like the water, so that kind of made sense to yeah. do that. Yeah. But I maybe I, I was very interested in getting into that weird world of sort of uh, wave physics meets uh, the creative arts. Interesting. Do you do any of that now? Well, apart from the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I have done some stuff in that sort of borderline realm that's a little more related to the job. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sort of new for me because I generally haven't crossed the streams, as you would say. I kind of have to done some music stuff outside and then doing some sound stuff inside the mm -hmm. university. And I don't really, you know, combine Cross. the two, yeah. but I, but... So I am in the job now for five years, and I've recently got a little thing called tenure, yes. so I can do whatever I want, 
<laughs> You're all set now. <laughs> I can study whatever I want. I'm just going to study the sound of crow's wings <laughs> or whatever, you know. No, but uh, I am thinking, okay, it's, it's actually just giving me a little bit more confidence. But now that I sort of feel like, okay, I'm, I've established myself. This is my lifelong thing. I can maybe be a little bit more exploratory in, in sharing some of our the stuff that we do for science in other ways. And so I have thought a little bit about that. And, you know, there's a part of it, I think, that has a sort of romanticism of, of creativity in the sense that we're building our own equipment to make a lot of these measurements. And, I, and, and then just this idea of listening and learning from listening, I think, which is something that, I mean, I think a lot of artists do yeah. as well. Um, so, yeah, I've, I kind of have tried to at least keep a little toe in that world mm-hmm. and think about it going forward. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like Nova Scotia is actually kind of a good place for, for that, both the creative side and for what you do for your work. It's, it's quite an artistic place, but of course there's also a lot of opportunity to explore the depths of the sea and, and this sort of thing. So. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a nice place to be. What ended up bringing you to McGill specifically? I think it was the city, really, and um, so my grandmother's French, and she's like the supreme matriarch, so we have a very strong French part of our family culture, and not Quebecois, she's France-French from Marseille, Mm -hmm. but still, I was like, this is, you know, this would be cool to live in a French-speaking city, and like, it's such a, just an awesome city in general, so that was part of it, and you know, not a bad school, that doesn't hurt either. Interesting. Um, And so how did you find settling into... Montreal. It was my first time living on my own. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, wow, what a great experience that is. St- I still try and appreciate that even now. I think, hey, I could do anything right now. Mm. Like, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, like, I could go to the store and buy a chocolate bar. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to no, stop me. Stop no one's going to stop me. Right? Like, I have basically unlimited chocolate bar money <laughs> now. And that, I try and appreciate that. Still, but the, the the first few weeks of that were, oh, man, amazing. In Montreal, like, actually, so in Montreal, there's this nightclub. I don't know what it's called, but it's on the top of one of the buildings, like the rooftop nightclub in one mm-hmm. of the buildings downtown. And they have, like, spotlights that are shining in the sky. Interesting, yeah. And I, this is just pretty embarrassing, but I <laughs> swear to God, I thought... That those spotlights when we when I first got to like got to school and everyone's moving to the dorms and stuff, I was like, those spotlights are to like celebrate the beginning of the school year. Yeah. <laughs> like I just like this is such a special magical time. Yeah, um, but no, they're just for a nightclub and they literally go off like all all year round. Yeah, yeah. every Friday, Saturday night. Yeah, <laughs> pretty sad. Um, yeah, it was amazing. I just I I loved it and I love that city and yeah the freedom to just explore. And so you, you ended up in San Diego, is that correct? Yeah. For your master's and PhD? I just did the whole PhD right through, which is kind of pretty okay. normal in the U.S., yeah. And it was kind of an easy decision just because I visited a few different places, mm. and it just felt right. The main thing was the supervisor. He just seemed awesome. Mm-hmm. And he had done this really cool work where essentially by listening underwater, he had made images of objects, I wish I could remember what he called it. Uh, anyway, so I had read that article that he wrote about that. And it was actually, you know, I don't know, 10 years before I was applying for grad school. But I just thought it was so cool. I was like, I don't know, work with this guy. Wrote him an email. Went down there to visit him because they, in the States, they kind of get all the kind of accepted cohort. And they kind of fly them 
in and try and convince you to come to the school. And we don't really do that so much here. Um, But I really liked him. And that was, I think, something that I didn't appreciate um, at the time as being a pretty important part of decision-making process. But now I'm like, wow, I I should, yeah, that's the best reason to decide to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And let's just say I didn't go to some other big name places that my mom couldn't believe. Why would you not go there? But I didn't like the guy as much. Mm, Very good. Very good. And she still doesn't understand. (laughs) I'd say it turned out pretty well. It turned out pretty well. yeah. Yeah. Um, did you get to do any of that research while you were there? I didn't do anything with the underwater. Um, I, d- I did completely different stuff. And actually, the funny thing was in the first year, so in first year, you're mostly doing classes as a graduate student. Um, but, you know, you, there's kind of this, yeah, let's do some research too, and you want to get spun up and you know, want to get things going. And I, I kind of feel like he didn't really have a plan for me which is fine. Yeah. Very rarely do supervisors. <laughs> it's like, you, usually you show up on the first day like, hey, can you read all these papers? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to go through because you, big part of this job and, and kind of academics in general is you have to be self-motivated, mm-hmm. right? You just, that's usually the shock from high school, right? You get in the first year and you're like, high school was so easy. And then you do your first whatever assignment and you get 10 out of 100 on it. Like, oh, well, I actually have to study or whatever. I have to, you know. So the same sort of thing in grad school. I'm trying to be self-motivated. It's kind of bugging him. Like, what should I do? And they had bought a microscope. And the idea, he was studying sound. He has a bunch of theories on how sound propagates in sediments. Mm -hmm. And because it's a mixed media, you have sand, you have fluid, and the fluid's sloshing back and forth. The sand is moving, right, as the physical waves propagate through. And so there was some existing theories, but he was trying to improve upon those theories. And so he thought, well, buy this microscope and we'll just take lots of, we'll just look at sand under the microscope. What's the shape? You know, the shape must matter and all this stuff. And so I did a project in that first year where I took thousands of pictures of sand grains from all over uh, the world (laughs) and um, analyzed the shape. And I basically thought I invented a way to analyze (laughs) the shape of sand grains. And then I just looked in the literature and it had been done since like the 30s. It was so embarrassing. I was like, hey, I figured out this really cool thing. And then anyways, we got a nice little paper out of it about the shape of sand grains. But I did find myself at the end of that year thinking, oh yeah, I was interested in like noise and sound and how the, you know, it was totally like, how did I get roped into looking at sand grains for thousands of hours? It was fine. There was some autonomy and, and, uh, kind of in the second year, then we started on the project that became my PhD project, which was building a system that could go down to the bottom of the Mariana Trench to record sound. Wow. And that was very much up my alley Yeah, in the sense that um, it, all it was really going to do was record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just going to go to this very hard-to-reach place and record what it sounded like. Mm-hmm. And um, like if you told that to like 12-year-old me, I'd be like, no way. <laughs> like, that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So it really, really was a fulfillment of, like, what I envisioned, sort of, uh, that research freedom and, you know, uh, just exploration to be yeah. like. So, yeah. So it was fully exploratory then, the, yeah. the recording of the marriage? Well, show. there were some things we wanted to get out of it, and I think mm-hmm. one of the, basically, there hadn't been many recordings below what's called the critical depth. Mm-hmm. So, in the ocean, because of temperature, salinity, and the density of water, you have layers of fast and slow sound speed. Yeah. 
And essentially at the, at the surface of the water, sound speed's very fast yeah. because it's hot. Mm-hmm. You go down, it gets cooler, sound speed slows down. But then as the pressure starts to increase, right, hydrostatic pressure of the yeah. weight of the water above you, sound speed increases more and more and more and more and more. And so you get this lens, right? Fast, slow, layer, fast layer. Mm-hmm. And that serves as a waveguide, just like a fiber optic cable. Sound can get trapped in that waveguide and travel super far. Yeah. And so the question is, like, the bottom of that waveguide is quite deep, like, say, 4,000, 5,000 meters deep, yeah. right? Yeah. So most of the ocean is about that deep. So you don't really get to go below those depths okay. very often. Yeah. And um, the idea was really what the funding agency was interested in. They wanted to record noise below those depths with Mm -hmm. the idea being that all the sounds trapped in that waveguide and that sort of global fiber optic cable and just below it, just outside of it, it's going to be super quiet. And if it's super quiet, then you're going to be able to hear ships with better, you know, uh, better sensitivity. So you can guess what that application is for, right? For underwater surveillance. Yeah, so we kind of built the system, and then the idea really was like, well, let's not just focus on going, you know, below this critical depth. Let's go to, like, the deepest spot in the deepest part of the ocean. Yeah. And, yeah, so that was sort of the the goal. Cool. Any interesting findings come out of that? Uh, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, so just just the, the engineering of yeah. it, I think, is it was pretty interesting. And we're talking about a system that costs, like, $10,000. Yeah as opposed to a submarine that will go down there where you're talking like tens of millions of dollars. So in terms of an efficient way to get to this part of the ocean, that was an interesting result. Um, And there's all sorts of systems out there like this now, like people build water samplers and people, I'm not saying we're the first ones to do it, but Mm -hmm. it was sort of a revolution in general um, that was facilitated by this one guy who helped us build our system. Mm -hmm. Some interesting acoustics findings. Yeah, we, I mean, so on a windy day, basically, it's as noisy at the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean as it is at near the surface. Yeah. And that's just from the way that noise propagates um, in, in the ocean. Um, but it can be on a, on a quiet day, on a, when, when the local conditions are very, very calm, you can actually get super, super quiet. It's a, it's a very quiet part of the ocean. So you were in San Diego. You finished your PhD there. Mm-hmm. Did you come straight to Nova Scotia afterwards? So I finished my PhD, mm-hmm. and then I was like, all right, now to figure out what I'm going to do next. And my advisor at the time, he was like, well, why don't you just stay here for a year? And I didn't like love San Diego. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's a great place to visit. Kind of a crappy place to live. It's Mm -hmm. really expensive. Yeah. um, And it's really sprawling Mm -hmm. and quite crowded. And so I was like, I wouldn't mind getting out of San Diego, but you know, I don't have a plan yet. I'll I'll, like take some time to make a plan. So I'll work as a postdoc with my supervisor, but a little bit longer. Why not? And, but basically... Because this was uh, after 2008, mm-hmm. the the Great Recession. And essentially, you know, my supervisor, great guy, mm-hmm. but uh, he didn't really realize he didn't have enough money to hire me as a postdoc. Okay. And I had to get a letter of job offer to get a visa at the border, mm-hmm. and I was going to leave the country and come back in again. And I I was good. I asked the administrators like a month before my yeah. trip, and basically the day before, they're like, oh, uh, there's not enough money in in your supervisor's account to like write this letter. So we can't make a job offer for you. Oh, so anyway, some phone calls were made. He sorted things out mm-hmm. I'm, and they, they managed to keep me on for another three months. Mm-hmm. But basically like I got back and I was like, I need to get a job somewhere else, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's actually crazy. I, the first person I emailed had a job for me. Wow. Who, who was that first person? Well, I had been to a conference many years before and seen this guy talk about the title of the talk was 
snow falling on water doesn't make a sound. Interesting. This is like right up my alley, right? <laughs> I'm like, this guy is basically living the life that I want to live, yeah. right? And um, so I emailed him, and mm. he responded right away and said, hey, actually, we are hiring a postdoc right now. I was like, great. I sent him my CV and stuff, and um, you know, I, I did pursue some other jobs, but I was like, this is basically, I want to go work with this guy. I'm really excited. And he was at Memorial University in Newfoundland, which yeah. is also the perfect place if you are sick and tired of living the California dream. And I loved it. Like, I loved St. John's. Yeah. Um, just And it was just the change, I think, was really helpful. But just mm-hmm. the idea of, like, I started the job in January, big snowfalls, you know, big storms. Yeah. Um, you walk everywhere, <laughs> you know, just walking in the street in, like, yeah. two feet of snow. And going and seeing icebergs and just exploring the barrens and being able to, in 10 minutes, to get out of the city into complete wilderness, which is something I hadn't had for six years. Mm-hmm. And that, I really loved that. And I, I made a ton of good friends there right away. Everyone was just so warm and welcoming, which is also, you know, California is not bad, but it's a city of 3 million people, you know? Yeah. You can't just meet someone at the grocery store and then get invited over for dinner the next mm-hmm. day, like which you can in Newfoundland. <laughs> it's amazing. And that was fun. Working with Len at Memorial was awesome too. Mm-hmm. And then I went down to Woods Hole, um, which is in, on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. There's a very storied uh, oceanographic research institution um, there. And so I, it was kind of an opportunity I couldn't turn down, even though I was loving my time in St. John's. Mm-hmm. I went down there for two years. I had a nice time working, but it was a little bit less exciting the work environment was great, and I had some really great colleagues, but I kind of needed to live like somewhere that's a bit more of a, has a complete diversity of professions and people and ages, and mm-hmm. which is when you live in a town where it's just all scientists and then 20,000 vacationers for yeah. two months a year, it's just not, it's not that great. Mm. So how'd you find the, the transition from Woodsall to Halifax? I was really excited to come to Halifax because I was a little bit bored in Woods Hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was ready to, like, not with the work, but with the lifestyle. Um, and I, so I was really ready to go live in a city. And I, like, loved St. John's. And I was like, Halifax is like St. John's light, you know? Yeah. It's like a little bit more uh, easy, a little bit easier to live in mm-hmm. version of St. John's, a little bit less wild. Um, but it's going to be the perfect place for me. And I was really excited. I actually got the job here but I still had a year a year left on my postdoc at Mm. at Woods Hole and I just remember like that was you know it's pretty hard to be super motivated during that year it's like ah just looking forward to enjoying life Um, but uh the funny thing was I moved on American Thanksgiving uh, and I I just drove I put all my stuff in a truck and I drove up here um it's about a 12-hour drive and amazingly enough this is the weirdest thing when I was, so Cape Cod, there's actually a little bridge. You have to drive over a bridge because they've cut a canal through it mm-hmm. that kind of separates it, makes it an, a bit of an island. I got very emotional driving over the bridge. Even though I was like so excited to leave yeah. and to move to Halifax, I was like, yeah. oh, I'm going to miss this place. Um, it was very strange. It was very unexpected. Mm-hmm. But you're still doing research on water acoustics now. I, I've heard um, of a recent publication of yours um, regarding the changes in the amount of noise over the course of COVID. Yeah, that was my hot topic paper. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, also the simplest paper I've ever written. It's like, <laughs> how, how loud is it right now, basically, compared to last year? You know, so in general, in my lab, I'm interested in underwater noise. Okay, mm-hmm. let's just say that's the word. But that encompasses um, everything from, okay, well, how do you model underwater noise? So what's the physics of the generation of the noise? Mm -hmm. What's the physics of the propagation? How does it, you know, how is it distributed in the ocean in depth, in space, in frequency, right? I'm interested in building equipment to make those measurements. And I'm interested in building computer models to predict those measurements from, you know, environmental variables, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, there's some very applied things as well. And this was sort of an example of that. So people are pretty interested in how ships um, contribute to the soundscape or the noise Mm -hmm. field in the ocean. So predicting the amount of noise from ships is actually a pretty difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. And that kind of has to do with the nature of sound in general. Like, you know how we use decibels to describe sound? You might have like a equalizer on your car stereo and you turn it down 6 dB or whatever. That's like a base 10 logarithm of a ratio of powers. So essentially the loudest sounds we sort of have in our environment are something like 10,000 times louder than the quietest sounds that we can hear. So there's a huge range. There's a huge range of of, uh, amplitude in acoustic waves. And that's why we use this log ratio of powers to Mm -hmm. describe them. It's like incredibly compressed scale. Exactly. And so when you... Yeah, when you're like looking at yeah, 6 dB on your your car stereo, that's like half as loud. But it's still quite, you know, it's still a single signal that you can detect very easily with your ears, for mm-hmm. instance. So there's this huge range of powers that we're interested in 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 working over. Like that's just the nature of sound. So ships can be 10 dB, 20 dB louder one from the other very easily. They can look identical but be much louder and much quieter mm-hmm. just because of small things. Yeah. And so it's hard to say, well, this many ships went through the Strait of Juan de Fuca, so there's going to be this much noise. It's, yeah. it's just actually a hard thing to do, and it's a hard thing to measure um, because it's so variable. So in terms of time series, we're kind of spoiled in acoustics because we're measuring something like um, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of times a second. We're measuring the pressure, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, typically if you were to say in, in biology, you sort of maybe making a measurement of, I don't know, uh, let's let's talk about wildlife biology. You're yeah. counting the number of penguins yeah. on an iceberg or something like that. You know, it's your your data your data rate is very low, exactly. right? Yeah. Whereas in acoustics, data rate is like extremely yeah. high, yeah. and so we're spoiled in that sense. But it does make um, it does make finding long term trends ra- rather difficult. Mm-hmm. For example, like in in the case of um, the COVID thing, you know, if we look at the noise every hour. Well, it just changes from one hour to the next by so much, by such a huge amount that you're never going to tease out any long-term trend. Mm-hmm. So you have to average over the hours. If you look at the day, same problem. You have to average over the days. And we kind of found that looking weekly was a sweet spot. And that's because we're looking at a human use problem, right? So humans yeah. sort of tend to operate in the seven-day mm-hmm. um, time schedule. And so we looked at the weekly noise power at 100 hertz. So 100 hertz is sort of like low uh, low frequency subwoofer, um, think the throbbing of an engine, yeah. right? So that we're looking at ship noise, we're looking mm-hmm. at that ship noise band. And we looked at the weekly change. So we said, well, this week, is it louder or quieter than last week? And we looked at that sort of in quarterly chunks. So 12 or 13 measurements every, you know, every three months. And 
we went all the way back to like 2018 when the data started being recorded at this location, and it's just flat. It's like every quarter, it's it doesn't change, mm-hmm. uh, except for the first quarter of 2020. It was very um, significantly sloped downwards, which meant that it was every week it was more likely to get quieter, and the amount that it was getting quieter by was increasing. So you settled into Halifax. You started to get a sense of what it was like to be a professor. Yeah. Um, seems like you have a good good grip on that. I think so. I think, yeah. like, uh, yeah, I think I feel like I have a research philosophy now, which mm-hmm. which took a while, and I, and I think it's different from a lot of other people. Certainly from doing this show, I'm, I'm, like, always amazed by how much more pointed people are about their research than I am. But I do think, like, I... I feel now that I like to think about research in the same way that maybe you would think about doing a creative art project in the sense that, you know, it's nice to have hypotheses and try and answer those hypotheses, but it's also nice to explore, Mm -hmm. right? And I think I go somewhere in between those two things, depending on like where the money is coming from that's paying for the research, right? Some very applied, but in other ones, I'm just like, okay, well, I want to pose a question and I want to answer that question, but it doesn't have to be necessarily a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And... I also sometimes those questions can just be like uh, about collecting collecting some sort of data and exploring that data, and I think that has been a very rewarding part of the job. Thanks, David, for letting me interview you for a change today. It was great to to get to know your story and sort of what shaped your interest for a change rather than the other way around. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, thank you so much for for doing this. And that's a wrap on season three of Psyographies. I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us over the last three years. Whether you're tuning in live on CKDU, 88.1 FM in Halifax, or if you're streaming over the internet, you're awesome and we appreciate you. If you're new to our show, or if you want to just relive the glory, all 20 of our previous episodes are available on podcasting apps, websites, all over the place, dal.ca slash Psyographies. I'm your host, David Barkley. Thanks for listening. Biographies is brought to you by Dalhousie University's Faculty of Science and CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Our producer is Nicole Killowy. You can learn more about Psyographies at dal.ca slash Psyographies.